0: If you look at, in America, what wealth looks like, wealth does not look black, it's not just, oh, let me ask my doctor this question. There are 20 questions before you can even get your mind right to go ask your doctor these questions because who's going to pay for whatever the doctor tells you?
1: Family building is supposed to be easy, and it can be a shock when it's not. The roller coaster ride of infertility can be a mix of emotions and conflicting advice along the way. As a reproductive endocrinologist and former fertility patient, I not only help patients build families every day, but I remember what the ride was like for me. Hang on tight as we learn together from experts and share stories from infertility warriors with compassion. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Shaheen, and this is Baby or Bust. Infertility affects men and women from all walks of life, no matter the color of your skin. But did you know that Black women are twice as likely to suffer from infertility, but half as likely to seek treatment for this disease? I am thrilled to have film director and producer Chiquita Lockley here today to discuss the reality and perception of infertility in the Black community. Chiquita, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I've been following your work for a couple years now. I reached out to you when I was writing a blog post on Black women and fertility. And I found you on social media. And I found your incredible documentary. And you helped me right away. No introduction. Just so generous and so helpful with your perspective. And I very much appreciate that. What is your experience with feeling this taboo surrounding infertility in the black community? I think I was 40, about to turn 41, um,
0: when I went to my annual gynecological exam. And my gynecologist, who's wonderful, looked at my chart and said, oh, Ms. likely you have a birthday coming up. Your eggs are turning 40. But when she said that, and, and she was very polite, she's like, do you know what you want to do with them? Them meaning my eggs. I didn't know what she was talking about. And I think I kind of blacked out because I kept saying, I know like where my next vacation is going to be. I know what my next job is going to be. I know where I'm going to brunch on Sunday. What do you mean? What do I want to do with my eggs? That conversation had just never come up. So over the course of about six months or so, it began to come up everywhere. So if I went to brunch with my friends, one sitting beside me, um, she said, you know, I just, my husband and I just miscarried. We had international donor eggs. It just, it didn't work out. I didn't know what an international donor egg was. And we're talking about, I mean, I've gone to college and grad school. And my college is a women's college. Shout out to Spelman College. So my friends are mostly people I went to college with you would think that we were already having this conversation, but we were, in fact, not having this conversation. So when I looked around that brunch table when my friend is saying that she had miscarried, I started looking at all of the issues on the spectrum of reproduction, whether that's from being child-free by choice all the way to surrogacy and everything in between, endometriosis, fibroids, aneomyosis. One of us, out of this table of maybe 10 women, We've had something on this list, but we don't talk about it. I knew about one of my friends because she had a quote unquote feminine surgery because we don't give it a name. I know now it was a myomectomy, but I took her to the hospital to have the surgery because she had to go early in the morning. But it's not like we really talked about it. So I started looking at where I was when this my OBGYN asked me that question. And I wanted to make sure that none of my friends found themselves in the situation. The shock of it, the embarrassment... I didn't want that to happen to other people. So I set out to do a 10 to 15 minute short, a short documentary where I would just kind of give the highlights like, hey, if you don't know what fibroids are, 80 percent of black women are probably going to have them by the age of 50. If you don't know what endo is or if you don't know what polycystic ovary syndrome is, this is what these things are. You should ask your doctor. Then I had friends who were trying to freeze eggs. So that question (laughs) just kind of spiraled into a whole film and I looked up and had hours and hours because I'm talking to a friend and she would say, oh, you know, my cousin or, oh, you know, this, our friend I brought to brunch or, oh, you know, this person from school, she has this or she used IVF or she had a surrogate. Try to figure that out. Like, how do you even pay for it? Or this person is lobbying her company to get better insurance. Insurance for what? For IVF. Are you telling me this isn't covered? Like, it didn't even occur to me to read my insurance policy to see if I had IVF coverage. So once I started having this conversation with a small group of friends, it went from like five friends to easily 30 interviews. And these were people who were in my Rolodex. These were not strangers. So, almost everyone in the documentary, I know pretty much all of them. All of this stuff was near me, but because of the shame and stigma in the black community, it's just not something we talk about. And it goes back to slavery and probably even before. If you were fertile, You would raise more money for the slave master like they could charge more for you versus someone who was older and barren. If you're a woman, at least in America, um, the notion is you should be able to have a child, carry a child safely, bring it into this world. Um, And that doesn't happen for a lot of women. And so there's shame there. And so across the board, we just don't talk about it. And then especially in the black community, we don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know, you can't help them, you can't hug them, you can't send flowers, you can't show up with dinner. You can't do those things because you're outside of the conversation. That Like, there is no conversation.
1: How did it make you feel when you heard from the doctor, your eggs are turning 40, Mm -hmm. what are you going to do with them? And you realized that you'd never learned about how your eggs don't work as well when you're 40 and you have to think about fertility How did that make you feel? I was stunned and I was numb.
0: And so for the longest, it was just in my head. I wasn't really processing it in terms of like how I felt about it. I didn't have a feeling about it. I was numb by it because what that meant is that I had planned all of these details of my life. I didn't plan for this. So in that moment with that question, it didn't hit me at a feelings level because I was numb to it. I have an aunt who, who never had children. So she pulled me aside at Christmas, maybe a few months after my doctor's appointment, and she said that her one regret, if she could redo anything, it would be that she didn't have biological children. I'm her closest thing to having a biological child. And she wanted me to really pause and, and like, not pressure me to have them, but I needed to be realistic with myself and have this conversation. So that was when it hit on a feelings level, like, Am I going to feel some kind of way when I'm 60 and I don't have children? And if I might, what should I be doing now? And that became a part of my my research. I spent my 20s and 30s traveling the world going anywhere I wanted to go. I can't even tell you how much money I spent. Well, if I had known at 25 that I probably needed to go freeze my eggs somewhere, that would be a different travel plan (laughs) like maybe instead of going to 10 countries just go to five and put some of this money away and freeze your eggs right now when they're at their peak
1: and why do you think you didn't know when you were 25 is it a lack of education is it because people weren't talking about it is it because you weren't seeing it on in the movies you know can you think back in america like westernized culture This isn't something that
0: we really saw a lot on television. And if I ever saw anything, it was celebrities who would have a surrogate, which in my mind, the price for that was way out of reach. So surrogacy just never was even a consideration. And that is all that I was aware of happening. Like Angela Bassett, she has twins and she was open about needing a surrogate because she and her husband tried for like a decade. It didn't happen. So there was surrogacy. That's it. That's the only one in real life that I could think of as a like a person who I would know of who even had surrogacy. IVF, never heard of it. At that time, it was when I came through, it was like test two babies. That's what the terminology was. We didn't even have adequate terminology to have the conversation. So it wasn't
1: something anybody I knew had and we didn't get it in health class in high school and if your friends aren't talking about it or your family isn't talking about it or sharing their struggles you're not going to realize that that's even a possibility because the narrative out there is that you're in complete control of your fertility and when you want to have a baby it'll just happen
0: yes and the other side of that which I always just had in the back of my mind that I could be like 50 having a baby. There are women in my community from my hometown with no doctor. They have babies very late in life. So black women can have babies at 18 or at 48 was just somewhere floating in my mind. They had surprise babies, like change-of-life babies is what we call them. They had change-of-life babies, so they thought they were in menopause and finished. And then, oops, surprise, you know, there's a baby with a a mom who also has a 25-year-old child. So I saw more of that. I just assumed, as long as I didn't have or need a hysterectomy, I could have babies until whenever. And that's just not factual.
1: You're hitting on a really big theme That's also in your documentary, Eggs Over Easy, assumptions, you know, really assuming that other people's fertility is going to be your fertility or that if people don't talk about infertility or miscarriage, then it must not be happening to them. And I think that that leads people to not seek help or treatment. And that's really highlighted in the black community. Yeah. The statistics show that black women are just as likely or maybe even more likely to have infertility, but yet they don't seek treatment. They don't seek evaluation. If they do, it's on average two years later than white women. Why do you think people in the black community are not seeking help? Well, of course, I will always go back to
0: shame because the shame is a huge part of Why in my community, we're making the the medical decisions that we are making. Um, So that's first and foremost. But I think what also comes into play is just not knowing. So, for example, if you grow up and you get your period every month or two forever and your mom is like, oh, that's fine. I got mine. It will skip a month here and there. Just make sure you're not pregnant. And that is the conversation. That's your internal dialogue. For the next 20 years. Oh, it's okay if you skip a month or two. Just make sure you're not pregnant. Well, actually, you could have Picos and
1: You could have a whole laundry list of things because that is not normal, but it's normalized. By PICOS, you mean polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yeah, that can make you have irregular cycles, irregular ovulation. And yeah, if you don't know that it's not abnormal, one of the reasons people don't seek treatment is because they don't know that something is abnormal.
0: Just financially, it's not an even playing field, just from jump. So when you hear the price tag of $12,000 to freeze your eggs, not everybody has an extra $12,000. And um, Keisha Knight-Polium, she's in the documentary. And when we started, she was just the narrator. But um, as we moved because it took so many years (laughs) to finish the film. So as we moved further into it, Keisha needed to freeze her eggs. And Keisha is an actress, an Emmy-nominated actress, who has sticker shock and did not know that you would need the cost of a small car to freeze your eggs if you think you can go to your mom and dad to say hey can you give me a twelve thousand dollar loan in our community that's probably not going to happen can i take out a loan um like a, a against my house well many of us we're not homeowners so if you look at in america what wealth looks like wealth does not look black If your insurance is not covering IVF and you need IVF, you're going to have to pay for it out of pocket. So it's not just oh let me ask my doctor this question there are 20 questions before you can even get your mind right to go ask your doctor these questions because who's gonna pay for whatever the doctor tells you i have all black women doctors not even black male doctors god bless them but my personal choice i go to women who look like me because i think they care about whatever i have to say and they're not gonna rush me and they're actually gonna listen to me to think that there's not a medical disparity it would just be foolish in America because we've read it in books. We see it on the news. Um, one of the clips that I show in the, in the documentary is uh, judge Glenda Hatchett's daughter-in-law, her son's wife, healthy. She is a pilot. She's like athletic climbing mountains and stuff. Has one son goes in the hospital fine to have her baby. Cedar Sinai's, I think that the hospital she was at and she starts bleeding and hurting. Her husband is saying, Hello, doctors and nurses. My wife is bleeding and hurting. And 10 hours later, when they decide to give her a test and and rush her into surgery, she dies. So for 10 hours, this woman and her husband who is advocating for her, and you say, okay. Or Serena Williams, who gives birth and is saying, hey, I have a blood clot. I know this because I've had this before and almost died. Can y'all give me a test? And they say, no, you're supposed to feel that way because you just had a baby. This is Serena who has millions of dollars, tons of influence, could probably call President Obama at the time. Like, this is a woman with influence, and they didn't listen to her. And she kept forcing the issue. Her husband has to come in. Her white male husband comes in to say, listen to her. So now they listen to her, and thank God they did, because she did have a clot. And she would have probably not made it. That is what it took for them to listen to her. What do you think is happening to the black woman who is just in there having a baby, who doesn't have millions of dollars and millions of followers on social media? Um, that bias kicks in, and they may not listen to her. Maybe she has a clot and doesn't make it. So the distrust—that's not even like on the list of one to three reasons we don't go. That is the—that is just it permeates all the reasons.
1: Studies show that up to 25% of black women that do seek help for infertility feel dismissed and feel that there's bias against them. That the narrative is is that black women don't have infertility. Black women are fertile. We don't need to run that test. And black men might not get a semen analysis because they're f- fertile. You know, the doctor doesn't Think about it. It's a bias. And you could miss male factor infertility for years and years. For sure. Black women are not listened to when they talk about pain, exactly what you said. And we can miss a diagnosis of endometriosis. We can miss fibroids. Um, And I've seen in my own practice a woman who went to the emergency room every single menstrual cycle for a blood transfusion. Nobody ever did an ultrasound. Nobody ever looked for the reason why. And finally, we realized that she had a incredible fibroid uterus. Fibroids are so much more common in black women. The wonderful story that you have from Jessie Thompson, her story in your film is incredible. Do you want to share her story?
0: Yeah, for sure. So Jessie and her husband wanted to wait a couple years they married pretty young they want to wait a couple years to start a family when they're ready to start the family a year one or two years go by no baby so she asked her doctor her doctor says uh just have more sex (laughs) good luck and by the way you have a fibroid we can look at it at some point so after the baby doesn't come she's like okay well let's take the fibroids out she ends up having five myomectomies five with the five myomectomies it causes scar tissue which although that was over a decade ago she even recently had like an emergency intestinal surgery in the middle of that she gets pregnant the first time is a miscarriage the second time she carries to six months they bring her in and say jesse we need to terminate this pregnancy because her uterus lining was so thin from just all of these surgeries and she refused to terminate at six months so they told her they walked her to a room and basically said, you're on rest, and we hope this baby makes it to tomorrow. She ends up making it a couple more months on bed rest in the hospital the whole time. And then once she delivers, she flatlines. Almost dies. Yes. So they resuscitate her. They bring her back. And it would take two to three days before she even had the strength to, like, open her eyes to see the baby. It had been maybe 15 years of trying and five years that you could just toss into the wind because a doctor told her to just have more sex. Like, that was the prescription. (laughs) Just try harder.
1: And she shares that line, my fibroids almost killed me. My fibroids almost killed my baby. And she just speaks with such strength. And you can see how she reflects on... Her own experience and wants to share that through her own book and her own stories. And she wants Black women to realize how common fibroids are and to realize what they are and ask for ultrasounds and ask your doctor, advocate for yourself and not be dismissed by the doctors. Do you have any guidelines, any advice for women that feel dismissed by their doctors?
0: I would just say find another doctor.
1: Wherever you are, if you do
0: not feel like your doctor is listening to you, you're putting your life in danger.
1: Go find another doctor. Shame is such a reason that infertility is so taboo and miscarriage is so taboo and not talked about in the black community. And Tanya James sharing her story about having a miscarriage not, realizing that that's something that happens, it was a surprise. And she says, quote, in my mind, I was the only person that had gone through this. And it was a year after her loss that she posted it on social media. And her inbox, DMs, emails just blew up with people, people that she'd known for years that were sharing that they had a miscarriage and she had no idea. It's amazing how important it is to share our stories in order to get support, but also to support others. And you really touched on that throughout your film. So like you said, as
0: soon as she posted on Facebook, all of these people came out the woodworks. But what was so interesting to me, they didn't comment on the front of her Facebook. They DM'd her. So even still, there was so much emotion and shame attached to it that they wouldn't say it in the comment section where other people could would see it. And that's very telling. Cause this was not that many years ago in the film. We talk with Kawana, She's a friend as well. We talk with Kawana and Kawana says when she's leading up to 35, she knew that like 43 was her cutoff point, but she knew that she wasn't going to try after that point. So once she turned like 43, that was just it for her. That conversation was pivotal to my life and to several of my friends. And because they were seeing this clip floating around of Kiwana saying it, now anytime we were together, those of us who don't have children – We would have that conversation like, hey, did you see what Kiwana said? Well, what do you think? Well, what did you decide? Are you going to adopt because you're like past the egg freezing stage at this point? Or do you want donor eggs? Well, what does that look like? And how much does it cost? So now we can have the conversation and several of us have answers because we're in different Spaces on our, our own individual journeys. So the conversation, I think, is a bit more robust. Um, it would be great if this had been happening five years ago, but I'll take it for now.
1: <laughs> I love that you include Tawana and in her choice to be child free. And she really explores her feelings in the film. She talks about how so many people define their womanhood as being a mother. And it's beyond just what society expects of you and all of the questions at the cocktail parties. When are you having kids? When are you making a mom, a grandma? That seems to be even more intense in the black community. Is is that true?
0: Yeah, I can't speak of other communities because I've only been a part of the black community. So I don't know if it's worse or better. I have um, (laughs) a friend, she's Asian, and her mother, is just like every black mother I know. So I don't know if it's different in different spaces. When a woman, a mother, wants her grandkids, she is relentless, will not stop. So this may not just only be black women, but it's definitely in our community. She wants somebody to call her Gigi. The best thing my sister ever did for me was having my nephew. So now my mother has calmed down. She she hasn't asked me probably in three years about it. And I have my sister to thank for
1: that. Can you think of a story where your friend told you something about her own journey that you just totally blew you away? You had no idea.
0: Yeah. Tanya Cobb. So Tanya goes to her appointment and they check for a heartbeat. There is no heartbeat. They send her home. She'd had lunch. And because she had had lunch, they would not induce, which also... Kind of blew me away. Like, they're sending you home. Your baby is inside. Like, are they sending you home with the the psychiatrist? How how does this work? They send her home. Her husband meets her. Like, they were in two different cars. He goes to the doctor, meets her there. And then they go home and park. And she goes into the house and it has, like, just baby stuff everywhere. So she has to figure out what to do with that while your baby is still inside of you. The other thing, they informed her that they wouldn't do a C-section. She needed to deliver this baby. So she delivers the baby, which wasn't a huge surprise because I had Jamila, who's also in the film, when she lost her baby at almost nine months on the day of her baby shower. I was there. She wanted some of us to be there when she delivered. And she had to deliver. Her baby was stillborn. So I knew that sometimes they don't do the C-sections you deliver. So that wasn't shocking when Tanya said it. Here's what was shocking to me. They put her in the wing with mothers w- with live births. So all night she is hearing babies crying. She's also sedated and she's asking where her baby is. Every time she wakes up and asks where the baby is and the nurse says, oh, your baby died, but you're young. You could have another child. She completely like wilds out. And they give her more sedation and put her back to sleep. She wakes back up and says, where's my baby? Because she hears the baby's crying. This is on loop through the night. So some of that I edited out the film because I didn't want this film to be trauma porn. I wanted to give the information, show the stories, also with compassion so that women are not having a breakdown watching this film. As I sat there with her listening, we had to stop tape because I... Even now, it's a lot.
1: I'm so glad you didn't edit out what she said. She said, I don't care how old I am. I wanted that baby. Yeah. And that really resonated with me. When people are trying to comfort after a miscarriage or stillbirth or infant loss... They can often say things that are really dismissive and they have no idea. Saying, oh, you're young, you can have another baby. That does not take away the grief and loss. It does not. Even in the media, this was mentioned in your documentary, black women are always presented as being so strong and they can do it all. And Tanya talks about this. You superwoman complex we can do it all we can have a baby by ourselves and get right back to work you know have a miscarriage and get right back to carrying on with life and not giving the space for self-care and this is not just in the black community this is this is period. pervasive yeah but i just really appreciated your hitting on that
0: There's a film, it's called, like, Pieces of a Woman, I think is the name of it. And I just watched it. I hadn't seen any previews, none of that. I just watched it because, you know, it was one of the top five Oscar films. This woman has a whole pregnancy, like, she delivers a baby and has to go right back to work because the baby died. And that means you don't get all of your days because you don't have a living baby and she goes back to work so the way that they showed it in the movie they didn't tell you how long of time it passed but she goes to the restroom and she still has on those hospital panties which means this she just had this baby within like a week or so she had to go back to work she walks in and they're like why are you back she's like I don't have vacation days and I don't get maternity not because she should be at work But because she doesn't get maternity leave. How? How? So when we talk about, which I did in the film, you have the miscarriage and then you just go back to work and you have to be strong. It is just amazing to me the things that women are just automatically supposed to do. But when I watch that film, I'm like, oh, this is why it's nominated for an Oscar. I've never seen the conversation come up. What happens when you have to go back to work? Mm-hmm. So women every day are miscarrying and they get the little two days off if they even have two days and they are right back at work. Trying to function, not having anybody to talk to or anybody who knows what's going on. Or if they were big enough to like shove, they were far far enough along to, to be showing
1: your back and explaining why there's no baby. That is a lot. So much of your film and so much what you're educating about is making sure that people are aware of infertility, of a, are aware of these reproductive issues, and bringing it out of the shadows, taking it away from shame so that people can get the information they need in order to advocate for their care. You show that through women that wish that they'd frozen their eggs or have frozen their eggs or had miscarriages or had fertility issues were surrogates like just so many stories throughout the film are really focused on education advocating and the way to do that is through education and it's sharing sharing stories with your friends sharing your experience and asking questions and I just can't thank you enough thank you thank you thank you I'm glad that it resonated representation is so important and there's an actress in your documentary that really talks about learning about egg freezing through preparing for a role can you share that story yes so Andra day she um she
0: sings the song rise up which you know is like an anthem in our country I get a call from my executive producer Felicia Fant I'm on my way to the airport to, to shoot some interviews in LA she says andra, wants to know if you want to interview her. Well, we were using um, two of her songs. We wanted to close the end of the film with the song, Rise Up, like to give everybody hope. So that was the conversation that I was trying to have with Andrew. like, can we use your song? You know, she wanted to, to be a part of the film. I'm like, okay, I don't know what her story is, but I would love to talk to her. So by the time it took me to fly from Atlanta to L.A., I land and there's a confirmation that's like, Andrea is on board. What's the address? So, you know, I give the logistics and she shows up. Andra, who is nominated, just won a Golden Globe and is nominated for um, Oscar for Best Female Actress. So Andra shows up, understated. And begins to tell me the story. I do pre-interviews before I shoot any, before we film anybody. So I'm asking her, you know, like, what's the backstory? And she says to me, you know, I'm doing this film. They had been working on the film for like, (laughs) as long as I had been working on the documentary. It took forever for them and for us. So she's like, I've been working on this film. The production company has to insure all of the key cast members, like the, the lead actors. You need an insurance writer. And that means your doctor has to like you have to take a physical for your doctor to sign off and say, yes, you are up to par. You can do this film and they can give you this trillion dollar insurance policy or whatever. Her doctor wouldn't sign off without her deciding about egg freezing because she would be required to lose a lot of weight in a small window of time. She had she ended up losing thirty nine pounds quickly and they weren't sure when she brought her weight back up if that would affect her fertility because it was such drastic weight loss. So that meant that this young lady needed to decide what to do in terms of egg freezing so that she could say yes or no to it. Either way, she had to say something and she didn't know what it was. She didn't know anybody who had ever in life frozen their eggs. And if she knew them, they didn't reveal themselves. So she didn't, she didn't know. So she actually thought it meant like, do they go in and like, take all of your eggs out? Like, what does this look like? Do they remove a body part? Like, do they take your ovaries because the eggs are in the ovaries? That was a completely normal train of thought to me.
1: But she's taking her experience of learning about this option uh, later in life and she's speaking out about it. She's sharing her own story and her own truth as a way to educate other young women to make sure they know their options. Um, Particularly young women, because if you're 25, you are not thinking about
0: this. So, Andrea has been very vocal to millennials and to now Gen Z just to say, live your best life and also pause to be mindful to be aware because once you have the information you do whatever you want to do with it but at least we can say as this generation we're going to make sure you have information because the boomers (laughs) did not give this information to my I'm Gen X and they did not give this information us. part of it you know was still in development 40 years ago the technology that we have today did not exist I don't even know did ICSI exist 40 years ago
1: Um, so the oldest IVF baby is now in her young forties and egg freezing was only really approved as an, well, it was considered experimental until 2012. So that's a really new technology. That's not even a decade.
0: Mm hmm. So I can't just say, oh, the boomers didn't tell us. So I think our charge for the next generation is, like, we are responsible for giving this information to them. And then they can do with it what they please. But at least they'll have it.
1: Chukita, thank you so much for being here. I loved hearing all about your film, Eggs Over Easy. I can't wait for it to come out. Until it comes out, how can we find you? So
0: we are on Instagram, and that's at Eggs Over Easy Film. We are on Facebook, also at Eggs Over Easy Film. We have a website, if you (laughs) want to guess, (laughs) eggsovereasyfilm.com. Very consistent. Very,
1: until Twitter. So I don't even know what happened (laughs) with Twitter, but at Twitter we are Eggs Film. (laughs) That's great. And at your website you can see that three-minute trailer, and it's such a good window into what you did. I just can't wait for everybody to see the whole thing. It's just wonderful.
0: Thank you, and they can sign up for the newsletter. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you so much for being here today. I just loved catching up with Shakira Lockley and listening to her perspective on the taboo subject of infertility in the Black community. I think that we can all reflect on our own communities and subjects that hide in the shadows and are full of shame, like infertility and miscarriage, to realize the importance of sharing our stories so that we can learn more, become educated, and advocate for our own health and care. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Shaheen, and this is Baby or Bust. If you like this episode, let us know. Give us a five-star review and follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Baby or Bust is produced by Mark Ramsey, Jamie Solis, and Greg Moga. Executive produced by Paul Anderson, Nick Pinella, and Andrew Greenwood for Workhouse Media. Baby or Bust is a Mark Ramsey Media production. If you're considering sperm donation as a part of your family building journey, it is important to find a trusted, reliable, and professional sperm bank to work with. I refer my own patients to Seattle Sperm Bank, and I've heard excellent feedback from patients about their experience working with these professionals. Learn more at seattlespermbank.com. That's seattlespermbank.com.